uh, Elizabeth and I look at all of you with all of joy and love. You've been a blessing in our lives. It's been an honor to be a part. More of that later as we, as we get further along in the service. But it's with that thanksgiving, uh, that heart of thanksgiving, that we look at our text today. Uh, as the Apostle Paul actually looks at a people at a church he planted in Ephesus and gives thanks to them and uh, thanks for them before God in prayer uh, because of his deep affection for them. And so I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 and please stand for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 1, Paul is speaking to a people in transition. Listen to what he says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope which, is, which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him uh, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God bless the reading of his loving word to us. You may be seated. So I don't know if you know this, but this month, the month of February, is a month of milestones for Redeemer. Now, yes, I am leaving Redeemer today, and the Panthers are playing in the Super Bowl today. And yes, I'm sure all of us are not real clear, including me, on what is more important today. <laughs> but you should also know that 14 years ago this week, Redeemer had her very first worship service here at Sun Valley. Did you know that? Fifteen years ago this month, uh, God uh, sent me and Elizabeth uh, through the grueling and rewarding church planner assessment process of the PCA. Those of you not familiar with it, it's a lot like a boot camp for the Marines. It's pretty intense emotionally, spiritually, relationally. But coming out of that assessment center... Uh, God called me uh, and Elizabeth and our family to be a part of the planning of this church, along with uh, quite a few families from Christ Covenant Church and who had the boldness to try and come and reach this county with the gospel and to plant a church that would be a witness to Christ that really would be a worshiping center that would draw all men to Christ. And the rest is history, or as some might say, his story. And I would say his story for a reason, because I have to tell you, when I planted this church years ago, with the help of a lot of people in this room, I had no idea we'd be where we are today. I had no clue. I'm like most red-blooded American men. I look forward to, to, uh, to in life of three to five years or something like that. Little did I know what God would do through this church and through you, through us together, through the years. 
I had little visions. God had a grand vision for planting this church, for establishing this church, and we'll have a grand vision for taking it further even as we speak. I am grateful for the privilege I've had to be your pastor, and I'm even more grateful that we got to do this together. And that is the very sense that Paul communicates here in this text, here in Ephesians 1 today, as we look at him full of thanksgiving for a people he loved, for a people he helped lead to Christ, for a people he helped plant a church with many years before he wrote this text. In fact, Paul bursts out in prayer with a people he pastored. He loved them. And he prays with thanks for a church that if we were to look into their history here in, in Ephesus in this around 60 AD was most definitely in transition. So my question today for us is how does Paul pray? How should I pray? How should we pray for Redeemer in this time of change and transition? Well, there are four R's in this prayer for what God wants for a church entering new phases and experiencing God's grace in new ways. And the four R's are this, remember, recognize, regard, and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, recognize, regard, and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is my prayer for you, Redeemer. And even more, it is God's prayer for you. Even Jesus himself is right now at the right hand of God the Father praying for us, even me. And so, let's start with the first R of what this prayer will be about and gives us a little hint of how God prays for us and how Paul would pray and what my prayer is for you as well. Look at verse 15 of our text. Look at what it says. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul starts with the reason. The reason he's praying by saying, For this reason. And that Whenever you hear for this reason, it's usually pointing backwards to what he, Paul had been talking about. In this case, a series of unbelievable blessings that God provides for believers, and yes, even his church, back in verses 3 through 14 of our text, where he begins in verse 3 talking about, if you look at that real quick, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he goes on to talk about all these blessings. And what are those blessings? Well, God chose us. He predestines us. Yes, we're Presbyterian. i got to use that word. Which means he wants us. Never miss that in all the theological arguments and questions that go with God's election and predestination. He wants you. He wants you. And he wants you not because of your performance or my performance or what we do for him. He wants us because of something in him. Grace. Grace is what motivates him to move towards us and save us. Paul goes on to talk about other things. He, he redeems us through the cross. We have the forgiveness of sins. All of our offenses against God are wiped clean through the blood of Christ once and for all. 
He goes on further. He says, he, God gave us a heavenly inheritance. And even more, right now, we enjoy the down payment for that heavenly inheritance in the Holy Spirit in our souls. These, my friends, are massive gifts. Huge gifts of grace given to you and me. And it's why Paul breaks out in prayer, considering what God gives to you and me as his people in his church. And so, in short, Paul starts praying with thanks. And he prays with thanks for the believers in Ephesus. And he's so pumped, he can't not pray. He says, I can't cease praying in the process. And what specifically motivates Paul's prayer? Their faith. Their love. As a people in Ephesus. Uh, Galatians describes it this way. Faith expressing itself in love. That they go together in the Christian faith. Once you start following Jesus, you become more of a lover. This is what he's remembering in prayer. This is what he's remembering We remember the gospel, we remember what God has done and is doing through us, and we celebrate how Christ has worked among us, yeah, even here at Redeemer. This is my prayer for you, Redeemer. Remember what God has done in our midst for these 14 years, and celebrate him and his work giving thanks. Remember the news of people in our midst and our kids coming to Christ for the first time. There are people in this room right now who have tasted Jesus for the first time here at this church. Remember God gathering together a congregation from such very different backgrounds and races and generations and socioeconomic classes. That's something to celebrate. I'll tell you why. If you look at most PCA churches, they're really white. White like me. But we're diverse, and it's beautiful. Generations, races, we're, we're a unique thing. And that, guys, is a God thing at work in our midst. Remember the marriages that have been healed in our midst. God working the gospel into people's lives, and even using people here to lean in and love on folks in their marriages and their life situations are very hard, and being present in the midst of that. Remember the church rallying around the hurting, the dying, the brokenhearted in our midst and in our community. And remember how God developed even ministries in our midst. I think of car care where we've ministered to single moms in our church and beyond our church and given away just so many cars. As if that's not enough, remember how God has raised up people to go on mission trips so that we have gone on an unbelievable number of mission trips in this church for our size over the last 14 or 15 years. Remember how God provided property, how he's given us a place to land permanently, and he's not only that, he's given us a good long-term relationship with Sun Valley in a high school. And guys, you need to know, Redeemer's breaking records being here. Every time I tell my, uh, my denominational leader friends about how long we've been in a temporary place worshiping God and still growing short, steadily, they shake their heads and go, man, nobody does that. 
That's unusual. Most churches don't make it that long in a temporary facility. God has sustained us and will continue to do so as well. Remember how God took a tiny little children's ministry when we first started meeting together at Christ Our Shepherd 14 years ago and exploded it with kids so that we have kids all over the place here. Remember how God raised up seven plus pastors in our midst, including one church planter, three senior pastors, one missionary, and multiple assistant pastors. Remember how God worked, faith expressing itself in love in our midst. Remember what he's done, and thank Jesus, thank you. This is a gift, a gift that most churches don't get to enjoy. You know that you're larger right now than 85% of the churches in the nation. You know that, right? We are blessed beyond more than you can imagine at this, uh, this church in so many ways. Thanks be to God, who gives us gifts of grace together. Remember what he's done, Redeemer. Thanks him for what he's done. Let's get to the second R. Second R is Paul continues to remember with further specifications when he prays that you and I would recognize our need in the present. In verse 17, our need in the present. This is what he says. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom, of revelation, in the knowledge of him. He's talking about a need here a need that we all have and will all continue to have as Christians, or if you're exploring the, the faith for the first time and just happen to be here today, you will need no matter what. Paul's prayer is very specific, that the Father would give the church at Ephesus, I pray for us at Redeemer, the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would come and rest anew on this place. Now look, if you're a Christian, you've already been baptized into the faith. If you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, you have already been transformed by the Holy Spirit and born again. But you need to know, you can still be filled with the Spirit. As Ephesians 5 goes on to say, that fillings happen again and again and again, while baptism only happens once. And that's what Paul is talking about. A renewed filling of the Spirit coming upon God's people. That's what he's praying for. So, God is promising this, or he's praying for this, but here, here's the interesting thing. He goes on to pray what this Spirit will do in their midst. It says it's a Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, why do I say that? Well, it not only says in the text, but he's talking about something in particular. This is technical terms. Revelation is where God re reveals himself through his word. At that time, the ap apostles preaching and the prophets preaching, now through his written word. And wisdom is the application of that word unto our lives. Paul is praying for the spirit of this wisdom and revelation in their lives. And the best way to summarize that revelation and wisdom is in the gospel. God's praying, uh, Paul is praying for the gospel to come to them in their lives. And here's the thing you need to know. When it comes to church, real healthy church always starts 
with Christ at the center and the Holy Spirit and the gospel working as pistons all together. Boom, boom, boom. That's what real life is. For God's people is through the Word and through the Spirit. In fact, I would say if a church is going to have any real life, it doesn't need to gain that life or renewal through vision, although you need to have a vision and a strategy, through techniques of ministry, although those are good things to have, through leader personalities. Even pastors like me know you need the Word and the Spirit at the core of who you are. And that happens everywhere in church, not just here on Sunday morning. Paul is praying for this gospel to come for a reason. He wants the church to be dogged and to fight for the gospel. Why is that? Because when the gospel goes, life leaves the church. When the word of God focused on Christ leaves, life leaves the church. What is the core of the gospel? God saves sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now I say this because in an age of quick fix spiritualities, people and even churches want to bypass the salvation thing through grace and faith and even Christ and get to the thing they can have now. And how do they do that? Well, all you have to do is offer a gospel of Jesus and Jesus but. Grace and, grace but. Faith and, faith but. Instead of Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. Sinclair Ferguson has just come out with a great new book called The Whole Christ. Buy it, read it in your life groups. It's that good. It talks about the problem that's going on in our church today around uh, how we handle the gospel of Jesus. And he talks about the problem of, of two extremes that show up in the church and are showing up everywhere, and they show up even in our lives, even my life at times, and that's legalism and antinomianism. Now, a fancy way to describe legalism is when you say, hey, you need to follow Jesus, and you have to perform a certain way in order for God to be pleased with you. Antinomianism says, hey, just trust in Jesus and do whatever you want to do. Both extremes, as Ferguson says, really get away from the heart of what the gospel is about, grace. Both misunderstand grace. In fact, what you'll find very often with legalists is they'll say, you know, you need to balance grace with works. If you hear things like that, that's dangerous because they don't understand how grace informs works. Sometimes if you hear people say, yeah, I need Jesus and his grace, and therefore I can do anything I want, I'm free to go and do whatever I want, that's dangerous too. Because Jesus wants to be the Lord of all. The truth of the matter is, grace is necessary for all of life. Not only coming to Christ for the first time, but continuing to walk with him every day. You can't live without grace. It's the water you breathe, the Holy Spirit working in you. Not only that, uh, it's not only that, you need grace to keep living for Christ. You need grace to actually obey Jesus and follow him as Lord. Ferguson rightly points out that we in our time need to understand that things like repentance are not a qualification 
for salvation. They are the result of salvation. Whenever you receive Christ by faith, whenever you lean on him and look to him and long for him to work in you with the grace of the Spirit, that's when all the stuff of following him comes to fruition in life. Do not let anyone open the door to legalism or antinomianism in our midst at Redeemer. We worship Jesus as the one true Lord and Savior. No ands, no buts. Jesus alone is the king here. What is the way out of antinomianism and legalism that shows up in our text today? Why would I tell you this? Because Paul tells us why it's so important to have that spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's because you get it in the knowledge of him. Here is the big idea. The big idea of what it means to actually encounter Christ in your life personally. That you might know him. And my friends at Redeemer, over the coming months and years, you're going to get new chances to know him together and individually in your walks with Jesus. And that's because you are entering a time of transition here at Redeemer. Granted, I'm leaving, but that means new transitions are coming. Some of those transitions are going to be really good. Some are going to be challenging. Some will be tough to swallow. But here's the thing. At every point in those transitions, you are meant to know Jesus through the gospel. Let me explain. As the founding pastor, I would tell you, letting go is hard. It's been tough for me the last few months. Thinking about this, letting you know, working through this emotionally. But here's what happens. When I go to Jesus and listen to his gospel and his word, and I pray and seek his face, and when I'm even hurting with him, here's what Jesus does. He meets me and reveals himself anew to me. You know, it's kind of, I thought, uh, my experience with Jesus these last few months has been a little bit like Job, who said at the end of his whole experience of suffering, and my suffering has been nothing like his, he says something like this, I knew, uh, I had heard of you, but now I see you. Well, that's what Jesus wants for you in this whole transition. He doesn't want you just to hear about him. He wants you to see him. See him in his glory and his grace and his power. If you're struggling with a sense of insecurity, he wants you to find him as your security. If you're struggling with a sense of hurt and lament, he wants to be your comforter alone. If you're struggling with life in some way, just regular life beyond Redeemer, he wants to be the first one that you know in his character, his glory and power, in his saving and delivering, in the many ways he does that for us, personally, knowing him. So what is the application? Well, know the Lord. Know the Lord, Redeemer. When you're hurting and feeling really emotional, in the midst of church changes, in the midst of life, go to the Lord first and know him. Say, Jesus, reveal yourself in your word to me faithfully that I might know you anew. For me, what that's been the last few months is God is my refuge. Church is not my refuge. And you should know this. We professional Christian types as pastors, we love to make church our refuge, ministry our refuge. We love to make power our refuge sometimes too. But Jesus reminds me and he reminds you, I'm your refuge. I'm the one you hide in. I'm the one you're going to find life in. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. Know the Lord in the midst of these challenging times. Recognize your need for him with the gospel. Those are two R's. We got to remember, we got to recognize, but now we come to regard. Regard your future hope as a church, which shows up here in verse 18 and 19 of our text. Look at what that says. It says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. You see that? Three things he highlights. Uh, in this text for us. He says uh, we should regard the future, that is, uh, in the hope that it awaits us, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and great power that awaits us as well. Let me be clear. Paul is talking about the future here. And he's not talking about the future in the sense of what's coming up next the next three to five years or ten years for Redeemer. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about the chief end of where we're headed in terms of location with Jesus. He's talking about looking to the future of where we will be with Jesus in the end. Why do I say that? Well, like I said earlier, we are notorious as people to just look slightly ahead of where we are. Just slightly. A week, a month, a year, a few years. But but Paul is saying, I'm praying that God will open your eyes so that you could see the end or really the new beginning that awaits you with God in heaven. If I must, let me say it again, you begin with the end in mind. Redeemer, if you don't start in how you're doing life with the church with the end in mind of heaven... You will go off and you'll start to define church this way. And this is how American, America defines churches. You ready? It's the ABCs of churches. We've talked about this before. What makes a great church? Well, if you're just looking a little ahead, it'll be attendance, buildings, and cash. But is that what God is about in our eternal destiny together? No. If you start with heaven, you start to look for things in church like faith, hope, love, Christ-centeredness, the glory of God, godliness, holiness. All of that becomes the real stuff of what church is meant to be. And i got to tell you, most of this stuff cannot be measured. There are some things you can measure at church, and maybe should measure but there are some things you just can't measure and you need to stop trying. In many ways, we want church to be a lot like the Panthers in the Super Bowl today, don't we? We want every week to be that exciting moment where we're at the pinnacle and you've got Cam Newton, Superman, leading the way. Sometimes that would be a pastor. But the truth is, for all the seasons you have great joy, there are lots of seasons of struggle. For all the Super Bowls, there are 5 and 11 seasons. Yes, even in church. 
And that's the way it's always been, is the way it was with Ephesus, Galatia, and all these other churches. The fact of the matter is, God is in the warp and woof of church as it, how it evolves in time, and he often ordains it to be that way. Not only 15 and 1 seasons at church, but even 5 and 11 seasons. Redeemer, I got to tell you something. Church ain't heaven. And it's never going to be. And with me leaving, I have to say, I'm not your Savior and I never was. Christ is the real Savior. Christ is the real Superman. Christ is the one who brings you life in the midst of even change. So I encourage you, as church changes, as transition goes on, mourn the losses, celebrate the wins, call on Christ, looking to heaven as the end game, that this is part of the struggle of making our way to heaven together. It's what God intended And my prayer is that in the process, in the coming years, God will provide a great pastor who will be better than me, take this church to new places, but i got to tell you, he'll be a broken man just like me, and he's not going to have his act together all the time. Don't look to guys like us for your salvation, because we will be woefully, fall woefully short. Regard Christ in your presence. Regard Christ in your future. Remember, your pastor Jesus is waiting for you in heaven. Fourth R, rest. Rest in the sovereign Lord. Look at verse 19. Gosh, this is just great stuff. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. Holy smokes. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about the bigness of Jesus. The Jesus who was crucified, dead, and buried for us and then resurrected to overcome death and give us hope that everything could be full of life because our God makes dead things live. Our God raised him up to the right hand of God the Father where he is ruling right now. He is sitting there looking at us as we worship him, listening right now. The beauty of this is that our God, as it says here, is he is Lord over all of these rules and dominions and powers. You know what he's saying? He's saying Jesus is Lord over everything. Every event that happens in this church, every event that happens for this future, for your future personally, Jesus is Lord over it. It's a part of his plan. If you recall, Jesus was the sovereign head and king over his people wandering in the wilderness. Jesus was the sovereign king over the people who were in exile. All in cases of transition, he was Lord over the his people and had full control over their situation. Now, in light of this, I have a special challenge for the leaders that are in our midst here at Redeemer. Elders, deacons, team leaders, 
people who have a voice in certain ministries, here's what's going to happen in transition. You're going to want to take control. I got to tell you, control's not all bad. It's a useful tool, especially when you use it rightly. Not only that, especially in light of Christ, you go to him first with it. Fact of the matter is, Jesus is Lord of this church, and he is Lord over this congregation. He's in control. If there's anything I've learned in almost 15 years of being here and planning, visioning church, and leading in ministry, is that sometimes, more often than not, when I say, hey, let's go do this, Jesus says, nope, Dean, we're going this way. You know why he did that? Just as little reminders, little tweaks to me, uh, hello, I'm the king, not you. If he's going to teach me that, and he's still going to keep teaching me that, because I'm going to be a hard-headed one sometimes, he's going to teach you that as a leader in this church. The great news of the gospel is this. Inasmuch as he is Lord and loving Lord over all that's here, he is also sovereignly loving you. He's sovereignly good. He's sovereignly caring for you. He's sovereignly interested in every detail of what goes on among his people here. That is good news in the midst of change. The fact of the matter is pastors come and go. You've got to remember, Paul planted Ephesus in 52 AD and left three years later. And then he wrote this letter about five years after that, that is in 60 AD, to the people to encourage them in the midst of the challenges they were facing as a people. Paul planted the church, and then in 90 AD, the apostle John wrote of the Ephesian church. That's over almost 40 years that they had been through many pastors, through many changes, through many challenges, yes, even persecution in the Roman Empire that time. It goes to show that Jesus is so sovereign over his church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And why is that? Because he loves you, Redeemer. Because he loves you. He loves you more than he loves this church more than I do and more than you do. God is in control. And it is a loving control that will take this church to new places for his glory. He is sovereign, and our job is to stop trying to be the sovereigns in certain circumstances and wait on him. And then exercise control and power as God sees appropriate. Rest in him as the Lord of all first, and then the use of power makes all kinds of sense from there. If you'll indulge me for a moment, I know some of you are curious and maybe even some of you are worried about me or Redeemer, or really my wife and my kids, all of us. I have to say thank you for your concern and your curiosity. Uh, I feel love. I'm feeling it right here, you know. But don't worry about us and don't worry about me. 
I can say after being through the ups and downs of ministry through the years, even before I came to Redeemer, God's taken care of our family in the past. He's going to do it again, and he's already doing it. We're going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Some of you are curious about what's next for us. Right now, I am planning on spending the next months just resting, doing the things to take care of myself, uh, to really um, listen to the Lord, pray, and just let him love me, and just get off the treadmill for a little while. And believe me, I'm a red-blooded American guy. I don't like leaving a job or a call when I don't already have one. But I felt the Lord really leading me to walk by faith, just like Abraham, not by sight. Trust him. Wait on him. Not be in a hurry. And I have to admit, I feel peace. (laughs) I really do. In terms of the future, many of you are curious about that. I'm already talking with big churches and little churches and other things as well. In fact, the, the theme that God's put on my heart is uh, he wants me to either go big, go small, or go broad. Go big would be go to a big church, a thousand people, something like that, lead in some way, if my gifts are appropriate. And then, uh, also go small would be plant a church that I pray might even grow and plant other churches in the process. And then go broad would be Uh, I've been invited, or actually I'm a candidate even now, to lead church planning networks around the nation. I'm talking with networks about doing that. So I beg your prayers that God would lead me, would lead us as a a family to the right place we're supposed to go. But in the meantime, I need to rest, need to breathe and enjoy the Lord, and not be on the activist cycle that I am so often find myself in without him. So... That's what God has put on our heart as we're seeking his face. So pray for us. Don't worry. Remember the gospel when it comes to me, to Elizabeth, the kids. Remember the gospel when it comes to this church. Go to your pastor. And you're going like, where is my pastor? Your pastor is Jesus. He always has been. He is the eternal pastor. I'm no longer going to have the role of being your pastor. I will be your brother. We can hang out. I'm good with that. In fact, the beauty of that is while I may leave, Jesus isn't leaving. Right now, Jesus is alive and well, a very personal Lord whom you can engage with personally and as groups, even an entire church on worship on Sunday mornings, and seek his face and enjoy him personally because he's very interested in you more than you know. He's at the right hand of the Father praying for you as we speak. You know that? That's what Scripture says. And when you struggle with change in church, you know what Jesus is doing? He's loving you. He's loving you. He's wanting to speak to you through his word. Listen to him. When you feel weak or overwhelmed by the challenges and work of the church here at Redeemer, I know what that's about. You know what Jesus is doing? Sending the power of the Holy Spirit to you. Just open your hearts and your hands and receive the Holy Spirit anew to orient you towards what God wants you to do. Finally, 
Jesus, our great pastor, is sitting in heaven with angels staring at him intently as we speak. And you know why? Because his face is shining. He's got this glorious look that you can't help if you're in his presence to look at him and you can't take your eyes off of him. It's a glorious attractiveness that awaits us in heaven one day when we're with him as a a people. And that face is shining for multiple reasons. (laughs) He's shining because he's reflecting the glory of the Father in the power of of the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory. But his face is shining because he's smiling at you. He loves you right now, Redeemer. He's happy with you. You may not feel it. You may be sad, and that's okay. It's good. But just remember, he's smiling with compassion, with love, with interest with a desire to be right here with you so that he would say, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. (laughs) Man, that'll preach. Redeemer, Jesus loves you deeply. This may be the end of a season, but there's so much more that's coming. Look ahead and find your pastor in this time of change. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how I give thanks to you this day, remembering this special flock. What an honor it has been for me to serve here. And you know, Lord, it's all of grace that I don't deserve to be here. I'm I'm a broken sinner, even as a pastor. No one deserves to lead in your church. No one. But I pray for your people that you would stir within them a renewed, even deeper love of the gospel, that you'd bring the Spirit here, Lord, in a way that they would be diligent for the truth of justification by faith alone. They'd be diligent for holiness. They'd be diligent to know you and to discover you anew, even in transitional times as a body. And I pray you'd give them a vision of home, of home in heaven. And I pray that Redeemer would even grow as a place where the lost and found would taste a little bit like home, even now. And I pray that more stories of your power and work would be multiplied in the days ahead so that people in Union County would say something's going on there because Jesus is alive and doing something there. He's real. I pray that these would know you. And in the days ahead, they would know that all they have is you. And that is more than enough. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Amen and amen. Please stand with us as we find our rest in our eternal pastor.
Leave to 